This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So it's building a personal mishkan, building a personal sanctuary. The Torah says, Asuri Mishkan Hashem says, make for me a mishkan, make for me a sanctuary. Mishachanti betocham, and I will dwell among you. It doesn't say I will dwell in the sanctuary. It said I will dwell among you. Each one of us, interesting, has an obligation to make ourselves into a mishkan, into a sanctuary. We have to make ourselves into a sanctuary. Our houses have to be sanctuaries. What does that mean? The roots of all holiness is our houses. Each one's house has to be a place of holiness. And how do we make our houses a place of holiness? And the answer is, number one, is peace. There's got to be peace in the house. For there to be holiness in the house, there's got to be peace in the house. And number one is, before you even talk about peace in the house, there's got to be a house. (laughs) What makes a house a home? What makes a house a home? And the answer is a married couple, a married couple, a man and a woman, a married couple. We've got to spell it out today, unfortunately. A married couple would mean a man and a woman married with holiness. And that makes a house into a home. And now we're going to work on making the home into a sanctuary, into a holy place. A home has got to be a holy space. That's, that's the important idea. How do you make a home into a holy space? How does a person bring God into the house? And one of the answers is the word shalom. Shalom is, the rabbis tell us, the peace is the chotemet. It's the seal of God. God signs his name with the word shalom, peace. And you, we're not allowed to say the word shalom in the bathroom. If you see someone friend in the bathroom, you're not allowed to say the word shalom, because shalom is the signature of Hashem. Hashem's signature is shalom, is peace. And a person welcomes God into the house by peace in the house. A person has peace in the house. The Shekhinah, the rabbis tell us, ish Isha, the word ish, man, has alav yuchin, and the woman is alav shin hey. And uh, between the two of them, they have the Yud and the K of God's name. Yud K of God's name. You take out the Yud K, you have Esh, you have fire. You put the Yud K back and you have the Shekhinah, Hashem's presence resting in the family, resting between the man and the woman. And that stops the fire of divorce. Putting the Shekhinah back into the marriage stops the fire. How do we put the Shekhinah back into our marriages? How do we build our sanctuary? That's what the topic tonight. How does a person build a sanctuary? Each person's home should be a sanctuary, an oasis of peace and brotherhood and love and godliness and spirituality. That's what we're trying to build. It's so hard to build that, that space, especially in today's world. It's got to be an oasis of spirituality. So we put a mezuzah on the doorpost of every room in our houses. We try and sanctify our house. We put God's names, not just God's name, but one name of God, even though the outside of Israel has one name of God, Shemdala Yud. On the inside has many names of God in the first paragraph of the Shema. First paragraph of the Shema is written on the mezuzah. You know this, unfortunately, not many people know the mezuzah is not just a case. A lot of people just think the mezuzah is just a case, it's a pretty case. Inside the mezuzah is the parchment. The parchment makes the mezuzah holy, not the case. So there's no case, all you need is a parchment. You don't need the, the joke is the guy had his house renovated and the painter finished and he says, uh, the painter says, uh, sir, I put the boxes back, but I threw away the instructions. 
I guess you don't need the instructions anymore. So the guy threw away all the parchments and he, he thought they were the instructions and he kept the boxes. Okay, that's just a joke. But I'm just saying most people don't even know this. Uh, the main part of the mezuzah is not the box. The main part of the mezuzah is the scroll inside. It's got to be kosher. It's got to be certified. It's got to be checked. It's got to be written for the sake of heaven. And otherwise, we just print it. It's not kosher. It has to be written for the sake of heaven. Each letter is going to be written with the right intentions by a certified scribe. So we, we try and make our houses holy. We put the name of God in our houses. We put the first paragraph of the Shema in our houses. But all that is not going to help if there's fire inside the house. And what is the fire inside the house? The fire inside the house is fighting between husband and wife fighting between siblings, fighting with the family. And this is the fire that we have to control to build a house of spirituality, to build a sanctuary. And the word sanctuary is interesting because it, it, because, it don't, uh, denotes a place where a person can find peace and quiet and tranquility. It's a sanctuary. So a mishkan, a sanctuary for God, and God likes peace. God likes peace above anything else. So the importance of shalom the rabbis tell us, Gadol HaShalom. Shalom is peace, is Gadol, is big. Peace is big. What does it mean peace is big? What's the difference between a big person and a small person? So the first time we find the word Gadol in the Torah is by the sun. It says, HaMaor HaGadol, and the word small, HaMaor HaKaton, and the small, the big light to shine in the day, the Torah says, at the beginning of, beginning of Genesis, and being a brave sheep, and the small light to shine at night. So what is it between a big light and a small light? A big light, the rabbis tell us, is the thing that shines. A small light is a reflector. So the big light is shines, says Gadol HaShalom. Be someone who shines peace. How do you shine peace in the world? And the answer is like to be like Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says, he, he was the first one to say hello to everyone, even in the marketplace, even to uh, Gentiles in the marketplace. He always said hello first. He was Gadol HaShalom. He radiated peace. He radiated the love of fellow man. And that is a very important thing. That's especially done at home. Be the first one to greet. When you come into the house, be the first one to greet. Don't wait to be greeted. You know, I'll never forget my daughter. Uh, one of my daughters would run to the door and Abba, 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 what a beautiful way to come home. What a great way to come home. It's the way a person comes home and the door is opened with a smile, with grace, with love. And that's, that's the beginning of the, of the process. That is the beginning of the process. Always smile, always radiate love and warmth. And that's the importance of shalom. Gadola shalom. Be radiated of peace. The relationship between husband and wife is the oldest relationship in history. Because in Jewish history, the husband and wife were created first. No, no children on the scene. So it's the oldest relationship. The relationship between man and God obviously was older just a bit. But uh, the, the relationship between human beings was the oldest relationship between husband and wife, between Adam and Eve. And God made the first match. The first match was made in heaven. And that's what we say under the chuppah. We bless one the blessing. Uh, just like uh, Hashem made the first match, so this should also be a beautiful match made in heaven. Beautiful. And as a connector, the Torah tells us he made her as a helper against him. So Rashi says, if he's worthy, she's a helper. If she's not, if he's not worthy, she's against him. What does that mean? That means a woman's job is, I call it, gas and bricks. If the guy's doing the right thing, give him some gas. Push him. 
okay, go forward. Encourage him. If he's doing the wrong thing, the woman's job is trying to stop him and trying to push him in a different direction. So gas and brakes, as a can ignore. That works on both, both, both sides today. We have to be an educated door for each one of us. We have to guide and try and maneuver the other person the right path. And it doesn't always work, but we have to try. That's, that's what we have to try. So marriage is for living and not for suffering. <laughs> you know, a lot of the jokes about marriage is always about suffering. Marriage is all about suffering. The last time a person puts his foot down, is in the chuppah, right? He smashes the cup in the chuppah. That's the last time a man can put his foot down. No, it's there's all jokes about marriage. Marriage is not about suffering. Marriage is about living. That's what marriage is all about. Because marriage is a creative bond. It's a creative bond that can produce offspring in a stable kind of relationship. That's a very important idea. To produce stable children, a person needs stable relationships. We, we find this today. A lot of broken marriages, a lot of broken children. And, and, when, I, and when I taught in schools, I always knew I could always see which children are broken. And the biggest troublemakers in the class are usually from broken marriages. So I had a really big troublemaker once in my class, really big, and he was very depressed and always caused trouble. Never had a smile on his face. And I asked the social worker what's going on with that kid. He's, his father's in jail. That's... That's the products of uh, today's society. He's a father in jail, a broken marriage. So this is ha- what we have to do. We have to produce a stable environment at home, an environment full of holiness, an environment full of shalom, an environment of peace, not just for our children, but also for ourselves, for our own peace of mind, for goodness sake. To find a sanctuary, a person needs a sanctuary, and a, a sanctuary is not a place where there's fighting and infighting and bickering and all these troubles. Play, a person needs a sanctuary for their own peace of mind. So we have to try and build this sanctuary. That's prayer. I think it's the hard, one of the hardest jobs in the world is to build this sanctuary with one's spouse. If one finds it to be a very easy thing to do, you're very lucky. The person's very lucky. Just look at this. this, is, this 50% of marriages break down. So a person's married and they're well married and they're happy in the marriage. But the truth is we have to find happiness in the marriage. There's, not, there's no magic. It makes the marriage work. It's full of work. We have to work. We have to invest in marriages. And investing in the marriage, we're going to talk a bit about some, some of the pointers over here. Uh, so one of the ideas is marriage is for living and not suffering. Not just to be a bear the burden of marriage, but to make marriages thrive. Our goal must be to make our marriages thrive, not just to, okay, I'm married, it's bearable, it's unbearable, but I'm going to, I'm going to stick, it, stick it out. No, make the marriage thrive. How do we make the marriage thrive? Uh, so we find it there's a point in the Torah, a very interesting point. This idea of Friday night meal. You know, one of the things that keeps marriages together, if you're religious, is having one or two or three meals as a family. How many times do families sit down together to eat? You know, it's interesting that the statistics are that if families eat together, the children don't do drugs. It's one of the interesting statistics that uh, children need to see their parents around. The children are doing their own thing and the parents are doing their own things and they don't meet as a family around the table for half an hour, one hour a day. It's a totally different uh, environment. Children do what they want. And unfortunately, very quickly, they go in the wrong direction. So it's very, very critical for a stable family to keep together, to eat together. 
to eat together, to sit around the table, to chat together. And uh, Baruch Hashem Purim, get the families together. Every Shabbat, get the families together at least once a week, in the, three times a, on the Shabbat. Families can sit down as a family unit and get together, and the children can see their parents sitting down together, hopefully getting along together, and they can talk about the day, they can talk about the week, they can talk about ethical values, the history, what's going on in the world, how to explain it, how to see it through the lens of the Torah. And that is, so Friday night is the first, imagine what a brilliant idea, first romantic candlelit dinner invented by no other by the rabbis of old 2,000 years ago, they said. Shalom by you need to light candles. A woman's job is to light candles, read the bracha. Light candles on Friday night. Why? What's the purpose of the candles? Well, I say, you can't have shalom by if the house is dark. You need candles in the house. So this brilliant idea. The first idea of a romantic candle dinner is a Friday night dinner. This is very, very important to keep the house happy. We need lights in the house. We need happiness in the house. We need to sit down together, eat together. Um, the, you know, the famous mitzvah of the Torah is love your friend as yourself. And the Ramban Nachmanidi says, this is talking about one spouse, the best friend in the world. Who is your best friend in the world? Who's going to think? Who is the best friend? Who do I trust the most in the world? And this is a very good indicator if a person's marriage is doing well. If you say your best friend you know, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the world is my spouse, or one of my only friends in the world is my spouse, who do I trust the most in the world, my spouse? Then you're on a good track. You're building a holy home. That is a very important. The basis of everything is trust. The basis of everything is friendship. And after the love your friend yourself, applies primarily to one's spouse, primarily to one's spouse. So many people love others, but they don't love their spouses. And that's very important to start with. Number one is, number one is yourself. You have to love yourself. If I can't, if I can't love myself, I can't love other people like myself. I don't know how to love myself. But don't let it stop there, because then a person becomes egocentric, selfish, and uh, that's the me generation. Person's going to love others like themselves. They're going to love their spouse like themselves. They love their children like themselves, and then they can build concentric circles of love. I love my friends like myself. I love my wife like myself. I love my children like myself. I love my, uh, my, youth, my community like myself. Concentric circles of love and helping and caring. And what's interesting is, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk about it much, this idea of love. What is love? And the answer is, the word love in Hebrew is ahava. Ahava means to love. Ahava means love. And um, the root of the word ahava is the word hav. Hav means giving. The root of love is giving. What does that mean? Love is not taking, love is giving. And that's, this is one of the things which is totally misused. The word which is one of the most misused words, one of the most misused words in, in today's society is good. And another misused word in today's society is love. At a good time, doing bad things, totally misused. And I love apples, and that's why I eat them. Yeah, how do you show your love to the apple? I love apples. I love salmon. Uh, what do you do with the salmon? You eat the salmon. So that is one of the representations today in the language. When you love something, you don't take it, you give to it. 
You invest in it. You love someone by giving them. You don't love someone by taking them. And this is one of the things which is the, the mo- one of the most misused words today in Hollywood is love. I love you. The man tells the woman, Halavai, he tells the woman, I love you, but really means I love myself and I want you. I desire you. Love is today used as desire. But love is not meant to be desire. Love is meant to be giving. How do we know this? It says that Jacob, Yaakov, Abinu, he worked for Rachel for 14 years. Hard to imagine. First he worked seven years. And it says, the Torah says, these were like a few days in his eyes. Seven years was like a few days. What does that mean? When you love someone, in today's society, it's like, I can't wait. I can't wait. Passion. I can't wait. My desire. I can't wait. You see that his love was not a love based on desire. His love was a love based on giving, in which case, like a few days in his eyes. He was working for her, and he could wait. Desire was not part of the equation. The intent was to give, not to take. So very, very interesting. We'll talk more about it some other time. But there's a beautiful gematria, the word ahava, gematria, the numerical value of the word ahava. In Hebrew, every letter has numerical value. The numerical value of the word love, ahava, is 13. Imagine number 13, which is the same numerical value, gematria, as the word echad. Echad is 13. Shem echad, we say in the Shema, God is one, and ahava is echad. What does that mean? Two people love each other and brings them together and makes a unity. Brings them together as a unit. And that's how a person creates unity at home. Ahava is meant to create unity. So there's love between people. They're trying to give to each other, trying to make each other happy. That is the key. If two people are trying to make each other happy, there's love between them. If there's love between them, there's going to be unity between them. And that is the key to unity and love and respect. Respect. And uh, very important to respect one's partner. Respect one's partner's ideas, even though sometimes they look crazy and Whatever, try and respect each person because they're created in the image of God. If that's the, the minimum reason for respect, that's a good minimum. The minimum reason for respect is every single human being was created in the image of God. So it's very hard sometimes when a person's tired, a person's, uh, they can't bear anymore, they can't take any more pressure, whatever it is, a person's down, whatever it is, not to lose one's control, lose one's cool, and always view things as a challenge. There are many challenges in life, and especially in marriage, especially when you are with someone uh, 24-7 or a bit less maybe, but it's still a lot of pressure because one wrong word, one wrong smile, one wrong look could set everything up in flames. So it's very important to stay calm, stay cool, and remember this is for the long term, this is for um, building a sanctuary, not just for myself, for my family, for my children, for my grandchildren, and for God as well. I want God in my life. How do I bring God in my life? The only way to bring God in one's life is through peace and tranquility. So a person's going to try and think peaceful thoughts, good thoughts. And when a person has good thoughts, God is with them. That is, that is the key. Negative thoughts push God away. We have to have positive thoughts. So, uh, kavod, if we treat our partner with the same kavod, respect, and honor that we gave our fiancé, 
when she was a fiancé. At least one-tenth of that would be fine. So think back to when it could be a long time when I was going out with my wife. How did I treat her? Wow, I gave her so much honor and kavod that if I could give one-tenth of that now, my marriage would be fine. So very, very important. Treat our partners with courtesy and treat them well. And that is something which is a mirror image. You treat someone else well, they'll treat you well. You smile at someone else, they'll smile at you. More times than not, and you can try it on children, it works every time. You smile at them, you love them, they love you. You don't smile at them, they don't smile at you. Treat them with respect, they'll treat you with respect. That's rather shame. That's rather shame. So unity, we said, our vice 13, and Echad is 13. Unity is through love. One of our biggest problems in society is we're dealing with today with a throwaway, disposable society. If something doesn't work, you know, it doesn't pay today to fix it. Um, one of my ovens, my meaty oven is not working. Now, what am I going to do? Now I'm thinking, what should I do? Shall I call someone to fix it or should I just buy a new one? You know, you call someone to fix it, it'll cost in Israel, it'll cost like 300 shekels just for, the guy, just for the guy to come and look at it. And then if he charges you to fix it, it's going to be another 200, so it's going to cost 500. A new oven costs 1,000 shekels. Now, what should I do? Should I buy a new oven or just throw it away? So that is the dilemma today. If my uh, radio doesn't work, what I do? Well, probably chuck it away. If my computer doesn't work, does it pay to fix it or just chuck it away? I don't know. So we're living today in a disposable society. And that's one of the problems today is, even though it's a wealthy society and we can throw away the paper cups and the plastic spoons and the this and knives. And there's a big problem with recycling and, and uh, garbage dumps and whatever it is. But we're living in a society which is based on disposable. Everything's disposable. If it doesn't work, chuck it, get something new. And this people have started to apply to relationships as well. If this marriage isn't working, chuck it and start a new. But you know what? Who says the second one will work even better than the first one? In fact, the statistics are, if the first, if the first marriage is 50% divorce, second marriage is 75% divorce. It gets worse, doesn't get better. So it's probably better to work it out the first time and invest the first time and do the right things the first time and not depend on the second time after divorce when the children are broken and the money, money goes to the lawyers it just doesn't pay. It really doesn't pay. And therefore, we're living in a disposable society. Marriage is not to be disposable. Marriage is to be solid. It's in, Jewish, in, Jew, in the Jewish uh, religion and theology, marriage is forever in this world and the next world. It's for this world and the next world. And whether you like it, whether you spouse, this world and the next world, there's one soul in the next world. And only divorce, unfortunately, can. Uh, break that bond even death cannot break that bond even death cannot break the bond between spouses because eventually they're going to be together again so a very important idea another problem today is selfishness is not viewed as a vice selfishness today is encouraged you know the iPhone the iPad I, 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 me, 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 me <laughs> so uh, I can't remember the, the story exactly, but the, a guy write, wrote a letter to the rabbi um, and he says, I this, I that, I that, I this, I that, I think this, I think that, and it's not working with this and that, but me, it's my, it's me and I. 
And the rabbi said, you got a problem with your eye. You got a problem is everything's about yourself. That is kind of selfish, that egocentric. And that is part of the problem in today's society. And that's why, you know, relationships don't work out because it's all about selfishness. People are more about me. What's in it for me? You know, in the last generation, uh, two generations ago, my grandparents, I can't believe they even thought about that. What's in it for me? They didn't think about this question. What's in it for me? And uh, it's interesting. What's in it for me? We did it because we, we, we married. Why? We don't think about it. We're married and that's it. It's forever. We don't think about it. What's in it for me? What's not in it for me? Uh, we'll, get, we'll get on with it. We'll just continue. That's it. And the importance of communication, the importance of talking to each other in low tone. That's, that's very critical. Uh, a low tone of voice, share a day, share a lifetime. Share, speak about your day, speak about your life. Uh, try and make it interesting and not boring. And uh, some people are good listeners, some people are good talkers. So the good talker should listen to the good listener, at least appear like they're listening, at least appear like they're interested. It's very important. Keep marriage fresh. Step back a little bit sometimes and view what you have. You know, it's interesting because the Gemara says uh, in Nida, one place in the Gemara Nida, which talks about marital uh, affairs. Um, the separation between man and wife uh, during the menstruation period, that it's a way of rejuvenating the marriage. You don't think of like that. They don't think like that today. And keeping awake can cause a person to have freshness when they're rejoined again. So it says, keep marriage fresh. Step back a bit sometimes and appreciate what you have. It really is a tremendously amazing psychological tool that a person can use to the benefit of the marriage to keep their marriage fresh every 12 days. It's a new relationship. It's a brand new, fresh relationship. Lower the tension level. Lower the tension level. Shouting is not conducive to shovel bite. Speak slow, low, and little. So speak slow, low, and little. And lower the general tension level in the house. Smile and nod. Uh, be happy a lot. Uh, try not to complain. That's very important. Not to complain about the food, about the level of dirt in the house, about this. Lend a helping hand. Lend a helping hand. You know, there's a story that says in Lakewood that a guy went to the rabbi. He says, Rabbi, he says, I can't take any more. I come home late. I'm learning all day in yeshiva. I come home late. The house is a filthy mess. And the children are running around, and I just can't take any more. So the rabbi said, Take a broom. And he said, what, Rabbi, I'm going to hit my wife with a broom? The rabbi said, no, I want you to help her clean the house up. <laughs> Such a s- simple thing to do. If your house is a mess, just help clean up. That's all. Be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Complaints are not going to help. So be part of the solution, not part of the problem. There's another beautiful story that says that the Chavetz Chaim had a grandson learning in Lakewood and Shiva. And... Uh, he was always the first guy in the minyan, as expected from the grandson of the Havetz Chaim. And one day, he started coming later, and then later, and later, and later. And eventually, I guess he ended up in the, the minyan later, the later minyan. And the rabbi asked him, he says, what's going on? What happened? You used to be the first guy in the minyan, and now you're coming late. He says, what can I do, rabbi? He says, you know, when I'm on my way to yeshiva, I get up early, but I see a woman over there with four children, and she just can't cope. And I stay and I help her. I said, yeah, really? Wow, amazing. 
who's that woman? I said, my wife. <laughs> my wife needs my help. And that is, that's where it says charity starts at home sometimes. Our spouses need our help and our children need our help. And that's where charity starts. Charity starts at home. And uh, Isaiah the prophet tells us, he says, don't hide from your own flesh and blood. So everything starts at home. We have to try and make our homes our base. Our homes should be a sanctuary. Build me a sanctuary and I'll dwell among you, Hashem says. Build me a sanctuary today. We don't have a better mikdash. But even when we did have a better mikdash, we still have to build our own personal sanctuaries. Very important. And that's a place of peace and oasis in the middle of this crazy world. Oasis of free peace. So keep marriage fresh. Appreciate what we have. Lower the tension level. In Osei Shalom, at the end of the Amidah, we say, Osei Shalom, we pray for peace. Hashem makes peace in the world above, between the Amidah uh, Tadin, the characteristic of judgment, whatever that means, and the characteristic of mercy. And we said, please, Hashem, make peace on us. But it's interesting is before we say the, that line, we go back three steps. We go back three steps. Why do we go back three steps? Because to make peace, sometimes we need to step back. And we need to get a different perspective. We need to step back. Interesting idea. Now we say, Hashem makes peace with the world above. Before that, we go back three steps. We're getting a new perspective to make peace. It's very important. And it's, it's, it's very easy to uh, lose, it, lose it sometimes. But listen, as a rabbi of a community, you don't lose it. Once you lose it, you lose yourself. <laughs> you lost your job, basically. <laughs> so it's very important not to lose it and try and control oneself and keep everything under control. That is really the key. Ezu, Yibor, Kofesh, who is mighty, a person who can control himself, what says, based on King Solomon. So important idea. And uh, husbands are urged to listen to their wives, especially with regard to the household and raising children and affairs. So very important to talk, to listen, to make common decisions, usually, but rather shame. Spouse takes priority over parents. The last line of the Megillah, we just read the Megillah, it's a beautiful line. Last line of the Megillah. Megillah, what does it say? Doresh tov dover shalom doresh tov Mordechai had an excellent relationship with his family, but not to all the people. He, he was he made peace for the majority of his people, but he had peace with all his family. So one of the praises of Mordechai, it's interesting, Mordechai, we just talked about last yesterday in, in Yushalayim, two days ago in Khuslaret, in the end of the in the Megillah, has peace with his family, Baruch Hashem, but he doesn't have peace with all the all the Jewish people. You can't make peace with everyone. At least the majority liked him. It's interesting. Mordechai was an interesting character. So Mordechai was a successful leader of the Jewish people, but he can't make peace with everyone. So a very important idea, this idea of making a mizbeach, making an altar, making a mishkan, a sanctuary, in our own lives, in our personal lives. But what's interesting in the Torah is from here to the end of the book of Exodus, we already have two parashiot, Trumat, Tzaveh, Kitisa, Ve'yakel, Pikadeh, five parashiot in the Torah are about building this building of the sanctuary, not even a temple, but a sanctuary, a movable sanctuary that the Jewish people could carry around with them in the desert. So the Torah describes in painstaking detail and great length 
the construction of the Mishkan, the sanctuary, the first collective house of worship of the Jewish people. Precise instructions are given for each item. The tabernacle itself, the frames, the drapes, the various objects are contained, including their dimensions. I'm not going to go into details because it's very, very intricate and very, very exacting. The details are tremendous. Why do we need to know all these details? Okay, say it once. Say it twice. I don't say it 50 times. <laughs> so why does the Torah keep repeating these details? Every detail is important. It's amazing. Every detail is important. So the question is like this. Why does God need a sanctuary? And if God needs a sanctuary, can, can God fit into a little tiny pokey little tent? Why build a tent? So obviously it's a symbol. It's a symbol. The sanctuary is a symbol that God cares about this world. God cares about us. God is here with us right now. That is the symbol of the sanctuary. God exists and God is here with us and God travels with us wherever we go. Obviously in the desert, they had other signs. They had the pillar of cloud, they had the pillar of fire. Um, and they had, now they had the Mishkan. They had this Mishkan and the fire on the Mizbeah says never went out. And then the flame, the, the smoke would go straight up. One of the miracles in the sanctuary was that the smoke of the Mizbeah would never wave with the, with the wind. It wouldn't wave with the wind. It would just go straight up. Amazing. So the, the Mishkan did not function in perpetuity. It lasted for 400 years or so. Its primary use was during the wilderness years. Eventually it was replaced by King Solomon's temple, the first temple and then the second temple, altogether larger and more magnificent structure. What then? Why do we keep reading it every week? Build the Mishkan. Build the Mishkan. You know, it's interesting because the Torah spends a great deal of time on three different things. Building. First one was building the world. Okay, Hashem built the world. Book of Genesis, Hashem built the world. Uh, uh, maybe two-thirds of the parasha of Genesis. One parasha. The building of the whole universe to one parasha. Then we have the construction of Noah's Ark. That's the other second big construction process. And that's part of the parasha of Noah, the dimensions of the ark, and a couple of verses. And now we come to this major building, which is five parashiot. Hard to imagine, five parashiot. Why? So number one is, a transcendent Hashem cannot be contained in space. King Solomon himself says so. King Solomon says in the book of Kings, chapter 8, verse 27, but will Hashem really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I built? Isaiah says the same thing, Hashem's name itself. Heaven is my throne, God says, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Isaiah 66, verse 1. So no physical space, however big, however large, is big enough. On the other hand, no space is too small. So says a striking Midrash. When Hashem said to Moses, build me a sanctuary, the, the Midrash says, Moses says in amazement, the glory of the Holy One, blessed be, he fills heaven and earth. And yet he commands, build me a sanctuary. Hashem replies, not as you think do I think. This Mishkan is enough for me. Indeed, I will descend and confine my presence even within one square cubit. A cubit is the length of a person's hand from the elbow to the tips of the fingers. So one square cubit, Hashem says, enough for me. 
What does that mean? Obviously, uh, it's hard to understand. We, we cannot restrict Hashem to a certain amount of space. What, what Hashem is saying basically is, I am everywhere. I am in every single space in this world. And if you call out my name, I will be with you. If you dedicate a place to me, I will be with you, Hashem says. Space is not important for me. I'll be anywhere you contain me, where you offer me. You offer me a space, I'll be there. Where is Hashem? Wherever you let him in, that's basically what we're saying. That's the Koska Rebbe. Koska Rebbe says, where is Hashem? Wherever you let him in. So if you let him into your heart, how do you let God into your heart? Just by thinking about it. If you think about Hashem, Hashem is with you in your head. That is what it means. If you, if you, if you put your house, you make your house a, a holy place, where there's no fighting, there's no screaming, you're building a future for Judaism in your house by having holy children who learn Torah in the house, and you learn Torah in the house, you're building a holy space, and you can guarantee yourself Hashem is there with you, and you sometimes you can feel Hashem's presence, he's there with you. So, uh, as King David says in Psalm 23, yea, though I fear, uh, I, don't, I don't fear, I will not fear to walk through the valley of shadow of death, because you are with me. You're with me, Hashem. Hashem is with us all the time, we have to remember that. So either way, if you let him in, he's there. So what difference does it make if the tabernacle or the, or the Mishkan was small or big? Either way, it was a symbol of focus. It's a focus of the divine presence that is everywhere. Wherever human beings open up their hearts, its dimension should not matter. However, the yeah, dimensions do matter. Everything matters on this microcosm as well as the macrocosm. It's interesting. Because when you build something, if you're an engineer, look at the tolerances, build a car. I mean, that's one of the things that you can notice. And the quality of the car is the space, the gap between the door and the door jams. What's the gap? The smaller the gap, the, big, the better the engineering. The tolerances are finer. Everything is tuned and everything fits like uh, pieces fit together. That's the tolerances. The less the tolerances are, the better the engineering quality of the vehicle. So the measurements do matter. Everything's got to be made to measurements. And it's interesting because uh, there's a book called Just Six Numbers. This book was written by one of the Nobel Prize winners. I think it was a, he was a uh, scientist in England called uh, Sir Martin Rees. He's an astronomer royal, the head of the president. He's the president of the Royal Society. And... Uh, one of the, uh, he won the Templeton Prize. Anyway, so he's, he says over there, his book is a six important numbers, six important numbers. He explained that the universe is shaped by six mathematical constants, which had they varied by a millionth or a trillionth degree, would have resulted in no universe or at least no life. Had the force of gravity been slightly different from gravity, for example, the universe would either have expanded or imploded in such a way as to preclude the formation of stars or planets. Had nuclear efficiency been slightly lower, the cosmos consists only of hydrogen. Low life would have emerged. Had it been slightly higher, there would have been rapid stellar evolution and decay, leaving no time for life to evolve. So read the book. It's an interesting book. Six important numbers. And that led to creation. That led to creation being possible. So, And that itself is a miracle, the fact that these Numbers were complete on target to let creation uh, happen. So interesting, 
And that's uh, teaching us that these things do matter, that numbers do matter, that measurements do matter. If you leave out a dot in the email address, the person will never get the email. So it's very important. Everything, every detail is important. And especially when it comes to spiritual things. People think spiritual things, ah, it doesn't matter. God doesn't care. But apparently God does care. How do we know God cares? Because just read these partial in Torah, you'll see God cares very much about the minute details that went into building the sanctuary. Hashem does care. Now Hashem does care how we conduct our daily lives. We have books of laws, how to pray, when to pray, what to pray, uh, which direction to face. Everything is uh, talked about. There's no details left uh, to figure out yourself. Everything, every detail is important and everything has to fit together. So when, in life, we're building a spiritual construct. Even though it's totally spiritual, you can't see it. The detail is important, how we build that construct, how we build it. And part of it is how we build our homes. How do you make your house into a home? How do you make your physical house into a spiritual home? That is the key to a Jewish home. So the dimensions of the universe are precise, mathematically exact. Have they deferred even in the slightest degree, the universe or life would not exist. Only now are scientists beginning to realize how precise we're on the threshold of a quantum leap in our, in our understanding of full depths of the words. I think David says in Psalms 104, verse 24, how, how many are your works, Hashem? Everything was made with tremendous wisdom. Hashem created this universe with tremendous wisdom, with precise, exact craftsmanship. And that's how we are meant to construct the Mishkan. The Mishkan is like a microcosm of the universe. Everything's got to be exact. And precision matter, order matter. Hashem creates order in the natural universe. We are charged with creating order in the human universe. Unfortunately, we are failing tremendously. This generation, again, after the Second World War, is tremendously failing to create order in the human universe. Unfortunately, this power, too much power, craziness, egocentricity, uh, conquering other people, destroying other places. Just seen today um, how many missiles were fired last night, 80 missiles in it destroy a country for nothing, just for a power grab, or a power grab. So we're seeing this, and this is playing out in a few places, and there's rather shame. It won't, it won't be, a, be a big major war between China. It won't be a big major war between China and America. The Middle East will be peaceful. There's a lot of different things up in the air, a lot of balls in the air, but it's rather shame. We learn how to harness human energy for constructive purposes and not for destructive purposes. It's rather shame, really. So Hashem creates order in the natural universe. We have to create order in the human universe. That's our job. And that means painstaking care of what we say, what we do, what we must restrain ourselves from doing. There is precise choreography in the moral and spiritual life, as there is precise architecture in the tabernacle, in the Mishkan. The building of the sanctuary was precise, so too in our moral lives and our spiritual lives, we have to be precise as well. Being good is not a matter of acting as the spirit moves us. <laughs> that is one of the problems. You gotta have measurements. A person's gonna be able to measure things in their lives. It's gotta be a measured life. Is gonna be measured. How many hours to pray? How many hours to learn? How many hours to do good deeds? 
and help other people. How many hours do you with one's family? How many hours with one's friends? Everything is based on mediocre and uh, measurements. Everything's got to be done with complete measurements. It's got to be an exact, and that is what midot, a person's got to build their midot, their character traits. The word for character traits is midot, which means measurements. Not to be too happy or not too sad, not to be too generous, not to be too frugal. A person's got to find the right measurements. And that's what the sanctuary teaches us. We have to build our sanctuary. So there's a lot to talk about. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.